The following presentation was produced by the Buddhist Society of Victoria. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. I just start with a quote from the Buddha, a very short one. Mano Pubangamadhamma, which might means, as many uh, uh, Buddhists will know, uh, traditional Buddhists will know, it means mind is the forerunner of all dhammas, uh, all things or all experience. Um, and this is pointing to the fact that the mind creates the world we experience. Uh, that we're living in. And it's created from, to a very large extent, a part of that creation is coming from views uh, that we have uh, about ourselves, about others, about the world. It's not only those views, of course, in traditional Buddhism they often talk about three things that really create our world. And they say them, tanha ditti mana. And this is tanha, wanting, craving, Ditti, the views, and the last one, the sense of self, mana. <laughs> this creates the world that we experience, for the better or for the worse. But, of course, we have to ask ourselves, what sort of world are we creating? Is it a, um, a positive world, a wholesome world, a meaningful life for ourselves and others? And uh, I want to look at the process of how we develop our views and beliefs. Um, and how they shape the way we perceive, how we look, how we see the world, how we see ourselves and how we see others. And from that, how we also think. It, it affects the whole of our, ex our mental experience. So this is a very important subject. I mean, I say that every week. <laughs> every teaching of the Buddha is important. But this one is the subject is really, do our views and beliefs matter? Do they affect our lives? That is the essence of it. And when we talk about views, the Buddha, um, he called that in the Pali language, that's called ditti, ditti. And uh, there are two types of view that the Buddha identified which impact on the spiritual path. And of course, <laughs> the two types are right view and wrong view. But right view is that which leads to awakening, leads to enlightenment. It's right for developing the wisdom and the purity of mind that will lead us to full awakening, to full enlightenment. And wrong view are those views that don't lead to um, awakening, to full enlightenment, and may actually um, encourage negative uh, mind states which create bad karma and in and will as a result create um, can create bad rebirths and of course the Buddha also mentions these views not a light thing he says in the talk, ten courses of wholesome unwholesome action and ten courses of wholesome action the last one of these ten is wrong view and he says this can if we act on it and some of the wrong views people have can be really negative and the, the repercussions can be quite strong for themselves and for others. But he said, if we act on them, we can take a very bad rebirth in a lower realm. And these wrong views, of course, one of the big components <laughs> is our self-views, the views we have about ourselves and others because of it. 
And all these wrong views from the Buddhist perspective are a perfect example of delusion. <laughs> how, the, how, the, how we see the world in, in, uh, with, uh, in an incorrect way, you could say. How we misperceive uh, the world. That's probably a better way of putting it. And so today I'm going to talk about these views, which are really, as the Buddha would, would usually term the wrong views, but because they're so important, because they're so prevalent in our lives, and we take them so personally. And because of that, ownership of, this view, of view, these views, they, are, they have a big impact on us. And so I'd like to talk today about this, these views and these wrong views, but next time when I do another talk, probably in another month, <laughs> I'll do right view because that's, uh, that's what we're aiming at, to developing right view. But if we don't understand views in general, we are leaving ourselves open to being manipulated, taking things for real, taking things for truth, that we should, in fact, just keep an open mind about. You know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It's just a perception. And having discussed in the future talk, when I discuss right view, then I will talk about the factors that make a person, um, that contribute to a person becoming a stream enterer, the first stage of enlightenment, because it's a very natural sequence to follow. And if we, if we are not stream enters, we call this in the Pali language sotapanas or sotapatis, um, then, for one thing is for sure, we haven't got right view. <laughs> so. We all have to work on that right view because a sotapanna is somebody who uh, the Buddha said has attained to view. They call it dittipatta. And this means they have a perfect view. They have a, uh, a view, an understanding of the reality, how reality is. And the areas that uh, a stream enterer, this first stage of enlightenment, where they break through is through seeing that this view that we have, ah, oh, there's a me, there's, a, there's an I here, myself, and this is, you know, it's, it's through all out throughout all my experience. So it's a permanent, a permanent feature. And of course, the stream enter, the person who's entered the first stage and sees, this isn't the case. There is no permanent self here. It's a conditioned process that's going on. There's not a, a permanent me inside here running the show. And they not only see that, so this is, this is a very big part of uh, um, right view, but it's also a very big part of wrong view, as we will discuss in a minute. And uh, the, uh, they also see that the, the way uh, to awakening, the way to enlightenment, from their own experience, they see that this idea, which was very common in India, and uh, still is really, uh, the vows and particular observances, doing particular things, that will bring enlightenment. And they know from their own experience firsthand that's not the case. So they cut through that view. Because people, and you see this, you probably see it on YouTube a lot, you'll see lots of views and opinions about how one became, can become enlightened. And uh, many of those things may be rituals or whatever. And uh, there may be these observances. I talk a little bit about that because they're still current in India, actually, some of these observances, and probably in our society as well. 
and that people believe that will bring enlightenment. And the last thing that the the uh, Sotapanna or the stream enterer has broken forever is a view, uh, is a view that this doubt about the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha. Are these teachings true? Was the Buddha really enlightened? And are the people who have practiced it, the Sangha, uh, the Arya Sangha, the Noble Sangha, have they really become enlightened? And of course, this, the, um, for the person who has become a stream enterer, they know from their own experience, yep, this is true. <laughs> I've experienced this Dhamma for myself, so this confirms that the, what the Buddha has taught, that he must be enlightened, and others can also have experienced what I've experienced. That's what they can think. And of course, for a stream enterer too, they say they perfect their morality as well. This is the virtue or morality, um, cause, uh, and this is a very important part of it too. So in a very real way, once one has arrived at the first stage of enlightenment, one knows the path of practice and, and has no doubt. It's always it's a, bit, <laughs> it's a bit sobering, really, because then the Buddha calls a person um, a seeker, only from that stage, a trainee, somebody who's training. Before that, we're not even training, isn't it? Isn't it sort of? It really makes you, makes you really reflect. You know that we are. What it implies is we're wandering around in the dark, because that breakthrough to the first stage of enlightenment is a huge leap for us. It's from we're going from a worldview that everyone, that most of us are sharing, to something. Looking at the world, looking at ourselves, looking at life in a completely different way from this idea that there's some entity here, this is a me and there's a, and, and there's a you and, and them and, and all this idea, to looking at the fact that my experience is conditioned, their experience is conditioned. It changes the world, changes the way they see life. But I'd like to just, many people will wonder what this word view means, and I'll give a definition, because I think it's very handy to have uh, an understanding, because it's not, not really a common uh, uh, word in a sense. So we do have, in English, don't we, have point of view, point of view. But this can be a little bit deeper than that, because a view in Buddhist terms is something that's a, a more strongly held. It's like a belief can be a very strongly held uh, opinion. It can be an attitude that we're coming from. It can be assumptions. And usually the underlying belief actually is this is real. <laughs> this is true. This is the way it is, you know. And so when we, when we see the world like that, that's, it really colors. Uh, um, it colors our experience of the world in a very, very big way. And uh, I'll go into the process of, of that later. Um, and often with these views, it's quite interesting. I see it with myself. You've probably seen it with yourselves too. Some of these views are very obvious to us. We've examined them and we think this is, this is uh, reasonable. You know, this is, this is a good explanation of what I'm experiencing, a good description of the world. Um, but often people don't, <laughs> don't really examine it, don't really go into any great detail. And yet, they've taken on board a view or an opinion or an assumption, and it's running there in the background. And it will affect how we speak, 
how we act and also how we think. It will affect our emotional response to ourselves, to others, to the world. And it will affect the whole way we look at life. So these views are not a small thing. And as I mentioned, you know, in a way it can be a view, as, it, you know, as the English word suggests, is like a looking, it's a seeing, it's what we're seeing. Um, about ourselves, about others and about the world. And so much of this, these views are really, in a sense, like an interpretation of what's going on about in ourselves, in others and the world. It's a, um, a way to, yes, interpret the world. And it may be more or less correct. <laughs> it may be uh, more or less beneficial and uh, because of that. Often what we see with these views, and I think most people can relate to this, especially when people have very strong views, it can create very uh, division amongst people, it can create conflict. And uh, in a Buddhist sense, in a Buddhist sense, it can bring up negative states of mind, we call them the defilements. And whenever something arouses defilements, it should... <laughs> bring that to our, that should um, warn us we're getting into danger, dangerous, a uh, dangerous area because this will not be for our happiness and well-being and for all for others as well. And so views, you know, we are very much used to, aren't we? You know, views about everything. There's views on everything. <laughs> you just see it. If you go to the internet, you'll see them. If you go to YouTube, you'll see them. There'll be views about politics and goodness me, isn't there a lot, a lot, there's always a lot going on about politics. There'll be views about religion and you can say in one sense what I'm talking about is a view too. <laughs> and there'll be views about sport, this is a very big thing in Australia, I'm sure it is throughout the world. And now we're seeing, you know, lots of views about race and we're seeing Black Lives Matters. Uh, this is a very important area at the moment. There's views about gender, gender equality. There's views about sexual orientation. There are all sorts of views. And I think the one of the, the views that I, I, I don't know a lot about it, but I think it's quite a common phenomenon now, is conspiracy theories. Now that's a view and a half usually, some of these conspiracy theories. They're usually very, very neat descriptions of what's going on, but... <laughs> but uh, somewhat doubtful as to whether it's actually the truth. And of course, we all think of the, um, or I think of the 5G towers, you know, causing coronavirus. I haven't gone into it in any detail, but it sounds a bit implausible. But nevertheless, some people believe that, don't they? They have that view. And these views I liken to a setting on a computer or on an iPad, a tablet, that is for, you know, controlling, controlling what, what is uh, experienced on that device, on that computer or iPad or tablet. So it's a setting that affects everything else. So it's important that we understand it. And there's a power behind these views that we have. And, uh, of course, the <laughs> what's the real power? We identify with them totally. They're our views. <laughs> They're my views. And that really is, gives them the power, actually. You know, and everybody else's view, naturally, is wrong or misguided. And um, 
That is a big part of the power of view. We identify it with it. And the Buddha called this, actually he called it uh, uh, dit upadana, clinging to views. And he also had another one, at upadana, clinging to views of a self. These are very strong things that we identify with in that desperate, desperate search to find a permanent self, to really, to, uh, to really make this f- feeling of I am even stronger. We identify with so many different things. And, we're, and in many cases, people may even be willing to die for their views. So a big part of that is self, but a big part of the power of views is that we think they're true. We think they're real. We don't think it's an approximation. It's a description of reality, of truth. It may or may not be uh, be an actual fact correct. Because our views are a bit like blinkers. And it reminds me of, I have to tell a Nazarudin story now, <laughs> One evening, Nazarudin was outside his house, spreading, scattering breadcrumbs around his house, and his neighbour was rather perplexed. Though living next to Nazarudin, he should have got used to it, I would have thought. <laughs> Nazarudin always does unusual things. Um, and he asked Nazarudin, um, why are you spreading, uh, scattering breadcrumbs around your house? Is it for the birds? Um, but it's getting towards evening. He said, no, no, no. He said, it's to keep the tigers away. And the neighbor said, but that's Rudin. There are no tigers around here. He said, ah, see, <laughs> it works. <laughs> so that's this view that we have, these views. We just, we have this belief in them that this is the truth. This is the way things are. And of course, when we have these views, they shape our minds, and as I mentioned, they create um, the world we experience, and whether it be an, a positive experience or a negative experience. It will depend on the view. It's very interesting. One of the things that I think is worth emphasizing, the power of view, is because when you think of the Noble Eightfold Path, this is a path of practice for a Buddhist, what's the first factor, the Noble Eightfold Path? A view right view and without that right view if that right view isn't correct all the other seven factors of the noble eightfold path this is uh, right intention uh, right speech right action right livelihood right effort right mindfulness and right samadhi all those are not right they're not right so view is really important in terms of the buddha's practice in terms of the Noble Eightfold Path. And it emphasizes the point that these views are very important in our life. They may not be these right views that lead to the spiritual practice, but they're very, very important for us, for the orientation of our life, the way we act and speak and think. So... So we can ask where these views come from. It's pretty obvious where they come from, I think, you know, that we have about ourselves, um, about others and about the world. And they come from, of course, in, in Buddhism, this is so important, actually, is conditioning. 
conditioning. This is what is conditioning? It's this repetition. It's creating of a uh, a groove in the mind, a habit in the mind, um, and often uh, these this conditioning can we can take on board because everybody else is believing it. Everybody else subscribes to that view, and uh, this is. Uh, how we can adopt views without really investigating them. And this is what uh, what we aim to do in Buddhism is to investigate these things. And of course they come from our parents. We pick up quite a lot <laughs> when we're children and we aren't, in a sense, we haven't got much uh, discriminating ability so we cannot really investigate much the views that we get from our parents. Of course, some of them are very helpful and very useful, but some of them may not be. And of course, from our friends, um, this is a very important place where we pick up a lot of our views. Uh, And I often think, you know, of the views that I had when I was young, you know, and uh, when I was, say, a teenager, and, if you, and thinking of them now, and I think, wow, so laughable, really, a lot of them. And so much, and actually you realise, actually, when you look back, you realise so much due to the people you hang out with, you know, the way they think, what they think is important. And uh, then they seem very, very important and very serious. But now they seem a little bit laughable, really. <laughs> and, of course, religions uh, or spiritual traditions, um, they... Are a source of these views too. And I mentioned how uh, Sotapanna, uh, stream enter, the first stage of enlightenment, uh, at that stage a person no longer believes in, they call it rites and rituals, I call it vows and observances. At the time of the Buddha, there were people who had these observances and they thought by doing this observance they'd become enlightened. So there is a wonderful teaching of the Buddha. It's, it's a lovely teaching where this uh, person who, who behaves like a dog and his friend who behaves like an ox came to the Buddha. And, uh, and they, were, you know, they, they believed that by practicing like this, you become enlightened. You, you achieved moksha, liberation for them. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> and they pressed the Buddha. They said, you know, what would be the results of... Because they, they naturally assumed, great, we're, we're going for it. <laughs> uh, we're serious practitioners. <laughs> and uh, they asked the Buddha, what would be the results? And he said to them uh, twice, well, three times, said, don't ask, don't ask, don't ask. And they pressed him the third time. And the Buddha would always answer after the third time. And he said, at the best, you'll be reborn as an animal. At the worst, you could be reborn lower than that. And they started crying. So this shows, you know, this is, this is the power of those, those views. Fortunately, they, they recognize that as being um, accurate. They be- believed what the Buddha was telling them, and then they became Buddhist monks and practiced. And I, I think uh, maybe both of them became arahants because of that, became fully enlightened. So this is the power of uh, religious or spiritual traditions. Our education and our society, of course, we, we collect a lot of our views. Views, and not only, we mentioned political and we mentioned uh, views about race, but nationalism is a big one. It's a big, big uh, view. And of course, our cultural views, that, that's, that adds a dimension to it as well. And now on top of that, we have the internet making our views as well. <laughs> 
and uh, when we see the videos and so on, we, we believe it. We think, yeah, yeah, that sounds reasonable to me. And possibly these views, some of these views come from our past lives, from conditioning in the past. And the Buddha recognized that a lot of these views actually, um, uh, and he had, there was a standard list of ten that they, they had at the time of the Buddha, uh, that uh, they often asked about, and he 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 called them unprofitable. He would not uh, answer them actually because they were um, they didn't lead to liberation. They didn't lead to the to uh, the ending of suffering. Um, and also, they had all those ten questions, which I won't go into now. They had uh, a premise based on a a permanent me or an I. So he, he rejected those. And uh, he also had their other views that whatever you did, good or bad, there'd be no result of that. So that's the opposite of a karma. And also the views about a self. Well, there's, there's a, an eternal self and uh, this goes on forever. There's a permanent me. And the Buddha said, if that's the case, then the spiritual life's not possible <laughs> because it's fixed. And also there was a view that everything finishes at death, you know, completely over. So these views, um, he, he, uh, he said were unprofitable. They did not lead to practicing the holy life, to lead to the, practicing the spiritual life. But I'd like to just mention first now, um, if we have time, yes, a little, that views, and of course the views we have about ourselves, they are, they are the ones that uh, have the most immediate impact because they, they can be um, uh, very damaging, not only for our spiritual practice, but for our lives, for, for uh, the people we encounter our family, our friends, our partner, our, uh, the society we live in. And some of them, they have that power because we think it's true. And if, if they are negative, um, then it really can have a very crippling effect on us. And it can be based on, uh, you know, judging our bodies, our minds, um, all these things. And they can be views like we're not, we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, uh, we're not good enough looking. This is a very important one in this society, in, uh, in a very material society. I'm not interesting enough, etc., etc. And these views about ourselves can create a lot of suffering and they can imprison and limit us. And you can see in a very real sense, you know, some of the views people have, the logical outcome of them has to be depression. You know, if you, um, you know, if you believe you're hopeless, or you, you know, or, or, or that the world is hopeless, you know, then the natural outcome of some of these views, and you, maybe you've got plenty of proof of it. See the news, <laughs> and uh, the natural outcome of it will be depression. The natural outcome of it will be anxiety and these things. So, so we can see that these views have um, a big impact on us. So it's in our interest to really look at uh, how we can deal with these views, how we can um, uh, reduce their power on our minds, and in a sense too, how we can uh, develop views that are more beneficial for us. So this 
when we, the way we can do that, of course, you know, deal with our views or beliefs is to really understand them. You know, as I often say, you know, it's a matter of uh, developing this wisdom, uh, what the Buddha would call seeing and knowing, and seeing what's going on, but not being it. You know, sometimes we just so consumed with some of these views and the emotional states they can bring up that we are just being them and there's no um, seeing of what's going on. So when we see things, it changes things. It gives us uh, insight that can free us. And of course, one of the first things is to always, t- <laughs> with our views and opinions and beliefs, is to always um, have an open mind about them. Not necessarily think this is the truth, this is real, um, because it, it may be from our perspective, our uh, experience, but not from everybody's experience and not from their perspective. So any view that's causing us any is suffering needs to be investigated. It's, de- it's demanding in a way <laughs> to be investigated because it's not leading to our happiness and well-being. And it's imprisoning us. It's giving us tunnel vision. And one of the ways we most important ways we can uh, investigate anything, really, anything we're experiencing, is to look at it in terms of wise attention. We call it yoniso manasikara. What does that mean? It means we look and we see what is this, whether it be a view, whatever, what are the results of it? What is it bringing up in my mind? Is it bringing up more... Uh, desire, greed, more aversion, negativity? Is it bringing up more um, delusion, confusion, more sense of a self? And we look at the results of, 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 of views. It can be other things as well we can look at the results of. And this way we can see what things are profitable and what aren't, what are for our benefit and what aren't. And I always like the Buddha's advice to his son, uh, the Venerable Rahula, when he was seven years old. He gave this wonderful advice. I think it's just perfect for, for our lives, actually, as, a, as a, a good measuring stick, as a good way to judge things. And uh, in this case, talking about, we're talking about views. He was talking about bodily action, a speech, and also mental action. And views are part of the mind. And he said, so we can ask, is this view... Or belief leading to benefit or harm. That's number one. And if we see it's leading to harm, it, it gives us an incentive. Let go. <laughs> and also, where is it coming from? Like I just mentioned with uh, Yoniso Manasikara, wise attention. Is it coming from a negative mind state or a positive mind state? Is it coming from more wanting, more aversion, more uh, confusion or delusion? And uh, we, can, we can see that, um, you know, with, uh, say, uh, many of the things we're experiencing now with Black Lives Matter, for instance. We can see that, um, for the large part, very peaceful uh, demonstrations, protests, but some have come from, uh, have been uh, 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 violent or negative. And you can see that must be coming from a negative, from anger, from aversion, which is very natural because it feels very justified. So, 
And uh, the third thing that the Buddha said, so he said, see harm or benefit of something, see where it's coming from, whether positive or negative motivation. And the third thing was the result of, in this case we're talking about view, is it a, a pleasant or good result or an unpleasant, painful result? Is it leading to conflict within oneself or with others? So these are, these are very good um, ways of judging, of in, uh, judging a view and also letting go of it. The Buddha used these for reflection. He said they were for us reflecting on our lives. And it can reduce the power of these things. And of course, when we, um, when we have an open mind too, we, we, can, we can have the thought, maybe this view, which I think is very, very reasonable, very true, isn't the case. We can keep an open mind. And of course, then the, the Buddha always... Uh, appealed to our experience as being very important. In the Kalama Sutta, you might have heard of that Sutta, um, he was teaching these Kalamas. These were people who were non-Buddhists, but they were very confused because they had many teachers coming saying, this is the case, this is that, that's the case. And, and other teachers would come and say, no, no, that's, that's a load of rubbish. <laughs> this is the case. And he, the Buddha asked them to reflect on their direct experience of what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. We all know that, actually. We, we can reflect on that. And the results of each of them, you know, the, that the wholesome leads to happiness and well-being for us, and the unwholesome leads for, to difficulties and suffering for ourselves. So this is a very uh, important area. And so I'd like to get on to the, the process, because one of the ways we can uh, reduce the impact of views on our lives is by understanding the process. And uh, it's very important that we look at the process. And the Buddha gave a very, very good description of this uh, in the Sutta, the Vipalasa Sutta, in the Anguttara Nikaya, in the Fours. Because when we understand something, when we understand the process, then we can see how we can influence that process, actually. And the Buddha called this, as I mentioned, sanya vipalasa. That means the inversions of perception, inversions of perception. Um, evidently, uh, vipalasa means turning upside down. So the way our perceptions are turned upside down are by, and the Buddha said that by, and we see things as being this is what we want to see, permanent. We want to see happy things producing happiness, beauty and self. That's what he said. And when in fact the reality of life is that there's always change, things never completely satisfy and it's not a personal experience. It's uh, um, due to conditioning. And so I'd like to tell another Nasruddin story because we're getting close to the end now and this is Nasruddin was uh, um, asked Nasruddin had a lot of uh, stubble on his beard he had a lot of stubble and a, a man asked him because uh, he saw that Nasruddin very very heavy stubble he said how often do you shave Nasruddin how often do you shave Nasruddin said 
20 or 30 times a day. And they said, you must be a freak. And they said, Nazarene said, no, I'm a barber. <laughs> so isn't that a different perception? <laughs> but the Buddha said, what happens is when we have a view or a belief, it shapes the way we perceive things. And uh, it shapes not only the way we perceive ourselves, others, and the world. And when we perceive others, uh, perceive things in that way, we tend to think in a similar way. And then that way we think supports the view, you know, that uh, whatever that view is. And maybe a good example is, uh, and I was going to give, when someone falls in love, when they're in love, you know, from that viewpoint, they will perceive the other person as even, uh, you know, as lovable, as, as having all these amazing qualities and, uh, you know, maybe sometimes even perfect, they think. And, uh, and because they have that view, they will perceive these, the qualities, they'll see a lot of these things that they are looking for, wanting, and then they will think about these uh, positive qualities and they will become even more, that view will become even stronger. He or she is heavenly, is divine. <laughs> The interesting thing is, um, maybe in a few years' time, that may not be the same view, may, the, may, not, may not be the same perception, may not be the same way of thinking. Because, why is that? Because we want to find this permanent happiness. You know, when people start a relationship, they think, and you often hear this word, don't you, with, at the beginning of a relationship, forever. Uh, I, I do remember a song from the 80s or 90s, one line of it was, did you think forever? would last the whole night. <laughs> That's really cynical, isn't it? But, uh, and we're looking, for an ex we're looking for complete satisfaction in this relationship, in this example. And we, of course, take it very personally. And uh, Ajahn Brahm, he gives, a, he gives the opposite. I think in Mindfulness, Bliss and Beyond, his book, he talks about the pig of an ex. This is when the view has changed to the complete opposite. That person who is perfect has become a pig <laughs> and uh, so on. So what is powering these, uh, our, our uh, views, our perceptions and thoughts is this, as I said, this wanting things to be permanent. Oh, what time is it? Wanting things to be permanent, wanting happiness, complete satisfaction and and this is actually part of impermanence, actually, part of permanence. We want a permanent happiness and we want beauty. We don't want the unattractive and we want to find confirm self in, in the experience. So these are very important things that uh, uh, drive us. And of course, as I say, the reality is ever the op always the opposite, that change is the nature of life. Um, that things can satisfy for a time but never completely and not permanently and that there we won't be able to find this permanent self that uh, many people are looking for in this life. So these things are driving us in life, yeah, these four things. And of course the person who has become attained the first stage of enlightenment they've seen through these four in a big way because what they've seen and you will discuss this at a later time 
the major breakthrough for into a stage of stream entry, the first stage of enlightenment, is seeing impermanent at a very, very deep level that everything that is of the nature to arise is of the nature to cease. Sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> Sounds very easy, but when they see that very deeply, then of course these inversions, turning the world upside down, seeing, trying to see permanence in things that are not permanent, trying to find happiness in things that will change into unhappiness, find, trying to find beauty in things that are just as they are, and trying to find a permanent self. All that is finished for a stream enterer. And uh, that, that they they will uh, be free of that level of view. They've perfected view, they still have to work on, we say, perception and thinking. <laughs> um, I was going to say a little bit, now there's uh, not much time, but one of the things that the Buddha recommended us to do, because perception is so powerful in our lives, because whatever we perceive, we think is real, it's true, and it has this power over us. And as I say, the views are conditioning what we see as true or real. But the Buddha uh, was recommending that we develop uh, other perceptions, perceptions that are helpful for developing the spiritual life, perceptions that are um, much more accurate in terms of reality. And so... He recommended in the famous uh, sutta that many people will know, the Girimananda Sutta, 10 perceptions. And I'll just mention a few of them. The perception of impermanence, perception of non-self, the uh, perception of unattractiveness, the perception of danger. This is danger in the body. You know, the body has some... It's a list of illnesses. It's amazing. <laughs> they haven't changed, actually, <laughs> from then and now. Uh, the perception of uh, danger in the body, perception of abandoning, perception of dispassion, perception of, dis of cessation. All these perceptions, interestingly enough, the last one is mindfulness of breathing. Isn't it interesting that that's a perception too? And he talks about how we can develop it, that we look at our experience in terms of impermanence, so that this body is impermanent, these feelings that we have are impermanent, that these um, uh, will, the way we respond to life is impermanent. These perceptions are impermanent, yes, as I mentioned. And also that knowing quality, consciousness, is impermanent. So I'd like to conclude and just um, to encourage all of us, myself included, as I always say, to be more aware of our views and what effect they're having on our lives. Are they benefiting us or harming us? Um, if they're harming us, we could say, let go of them, you know, undermine them. Don't believe them uh, uh, because they're not going to be for our benefit. And are they positive or negative? This will be obviously, if something's harming us, it'll be a negative uh, motivation that's causing it. And the result for us will be uh, either pleasant or painful. If it's a negative view, it will be very painful. So, as always with um, Buddhism, direct experience is very important. Investigating is very important. And so we can see it, but not necessarily be it. Be open to it being different. As the Buddha said, however we think it is, 
it'll always be different from that. So I'd like to finish the talk there so that uh, if there are any um, comments, questions, and there's a sign saying questions <laughs> or complaints. <laughs> yes, Chinlong, Kabe. Ajahn, first question. Yes, how can you say that? Whenever I see colors, how should my view or my set be? Thank you. Whenever I see colors, right. Actually, interestingly enough, the uh, definition of perception the Buddha gives is, um, you know, this is yellow, this is red, this is white, this is blue. Um, so this is perceiving colors. But of course you realize, and as one of the translations, uh, instead of perception, they use conceiving. It's a label we're putting on uh, experience. So there, how, was that again, Chinook? How do we... How should my when whenever I see colours, how should my view or my set be? Well, this I think that it's it will be determined to be determined by you know your liking and your disliking from previous experience, how you relate to colours. Um, you know that will that will, will very much depend on you know the conditioning you already have in this life, and you know having said that, it reminds me that in Buddhism there's a there are the casinas, these ten uh, uh, usually discs um, for using as an external object of contemplation. Some of them are colours. And the point of seeing those colours in that situation is to see them as incredibly beautiful. Now take you into them so that that experience becomes the total of your experience. And in a sense then the mind becomes one with that colour. So that's one way that it can be done. Um, usually with those casinos they advise that you have an exper experienced teacher because I know, I've heard from a monk who've practiced them, that what can happen is you start to see these things externally and they take on a reality and that can be very unsettling for a person and for the mind that's not prepared for it. Not ready, not uh, realizing this is just a reflection of my mind, even though it's seeing it physically, it seems to be physically. So the reaction to colors will always be individual <laughs> to a large extent. So mm. thank you for that. Thank you for your insightful talk. How do we respect other people's views and belief, even when we think? they may be misguided. Yes. Is there a skillful, and the second part of the question is, is there a skillful way of not reacting with negativity? Yes, that's very good. How to respect other people's views that we don't necessarily agree with or hold to, yeah, and um, respect that. And that, that is, uh, you know, for me, you know, the, the way to do that is to realize that we have all got different conditioning and therefore... That's why that person has that view, you know, and whenever somebody is, you know, uh, angry or upset with me, I realize that conditioning, what I'm saying is conditioning, their experience, you know, up to that point um, is, is the reason they are like they are at that moment. They won't always be like that and they won't always hold that view. So this, to respect people's um, views is, is good because then we 
We won't um, get into conflict with them. We won't get into conflict with them. Realising that views are just views. They're just thoughts. They're just concepts. They're not reality. Um, that is a good way to respect other people's views. And we know that people's views are a reflection of the, the state of their mind, the, the quality of their mind, the quality of their wisdom. Um, and in many ways, you know, the Buddha would emphasize that, you know, when we're looking for advice from somebody, we look for a wise person. We don't take, take the um, advice of somebody who we think is not wise. <laughs> so we just allow people to be as they are realizing we all have our limits and uh, what is a skillful means those things you know just thinking you know this person thinks like that because of their conditioning their background so many things really their education um, you know lots of different things that impact on them so when we when we think like that we can respect them because we realize they couldn't be any other way, actually, at this particular moment, given all those inputs, you know, their beliefs, their views, as we're talking about today, but also the other things to the education, their peers, you know, the people that are influenced by the, you know, on the, inter the things they watch on the internet, all these things, you know, that's going to shape them in a big way. So... You know, you can have when you have wisdom, you can have compassion for people too, even if their views seem really misguided, you know, and maybe even harmful to themselves or to others. That's hard to accept actually when they want to harm others. Mm. So I hope that was uh, helpful for you. Yeah, yep. How does meditation help in developing right view? Oh, very important, actually. I was going to mention that. Uh, medit well, meditation in developing right view, is, it's a part of the Noble Eightfold Path. So uh, it, it, mindfulness is essential because if we are mindful, we can see what's going on much, much more clearly. Um, and because of that, you know, then our right view can be uh, deepened it can be deepened because with mindfulness we can look into investigate we've got the ability to stand back a little bit when we're being mindful we are looking at things at, at um, with a little bit of a gap so we can just see what things are happening and then come to a new understanding a deeper understanding of uh, right view the aspects of right view or even the view that we're having you know with mindfulness um, I think a lot of our wrong views will be seen much more easily, you know, <laughs> much more clearly, actually. So mindfulness brings clarity, doesn't it? Brings clarity and brings, brings a sense of perspective, too, that can allow wisdom to arise. So it's a very, very important part of the Noble Eightfold Path. So thank you for that. Yes, mindfulness for sure. Next question, Ajahn. Uh, Ajahn mentioned about contemplating our views and see whether it leads to harm or help us. Yes. Please advise on how to do this contemplation. Is this done while meditating or by thinking? Ah, right, right. It's, 
No, we would normally we'd, we'd do the meditation and then develop some stillness in the mind, some clarity in the mind, some peace in the mind, and then maybe contemplate uh, a view that we find um, is impacting on our lives. Either it may be a view we have of ourselves or of others that we interact with or the world. Um, or it may be a view somebody else has that we think they have, you know, and we can examine it. And when, whenever we see that something is not, is for harming us, it makes it a lot easier to let go of it, a lot easier to, to uh, disengage from. You know, we always have that example of when you put your hand on a flame, you know, say a candle or whatever, you'll quickly take it off because it's going to be painful, it's going to hurt. And so this is a very good way. When we can see there is no advantage in it, no benefit in it, it makes it easier to let go of, you know. But of course, one of the aspects uh, that is the sticky aspect, you might call it the glue for clinging to views that are harmful, is a sense of self. So, for instance, if somebody views themselves as a victim, that's a very harmful uh, a view to have, but it's very hard for that person perhaps to disengage from it because it's me, you know, I'm the victim, you know. It's not a very nice view to have, and, of course, it will have a crippling effect on that person's life, so... So this is, you know, how we can see. Just seeing the harm in something is, is, is what the Buddha would advise for allowing us to let go. And seeing that process, if you see it as a process, then it's not a personal thing. And we can, you know, uh, deconstruct, actually, that view and then impact on that perception that we're experiencing and the thinking that comes from that perception, mm-hmm. the vipalasa. Yes, thank you. Jim. Another question. Mm-hmm. When confronted by views we disagree with, yes, it can help to shift shift from judgment to curiosity. Why do they think that way? That's very good. Yes, uh, thank you for that. That's a very good way to, to yes, yes, and that's uh, it. Reminds me of yes, if Ajahn Chah, you can either learn from something or su- suffer from it. You know, and very much, you know, when you find a, a view that you don't agree with, you can learn a lot, um, not necessarily about, about the, perhaps about the view, but particularly about the, the understanding that gives rise to that view. And that can be quite fascinating when we, when we develop a sense of curiosity in the practice. It's very, very useful because that brings interest to what we're doing. And this is very useful in meditation too. But in life, it's a very good... Um, it's a good way to diffuse judgment, isn't it? <laughs> if we curi- how does how does somebody believe that? And then you know, if you can go deeper and deeper, you can get an understanding, and out of that, you 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 can sort of come to an acceptance. Well, that's why they believe that. You don't necessarily agree with it, um, but you can uh, you can learn a lot from it. So thank you. That's a good point. Curiosity is a very, very useful quality, actually. And it's a bit open, isn't it? It's open. We're curious. We're not, we're not judging. We're curious. Yeah, very good. Hmm. This will be the last question. All right, good, good. That's it. In Path of Purification book, 
Ah, I think in part manga. of the purification book. Yes, yes. I read that each color represents some good quality, some good qualities. Oh yeah. Is it okay if I can think like that? Will that nourish my mind? Thank you. Ah, on the path of purification, each qu- each color has a good qualities. I think that's probably relating to the casinos again. Um, well, I, I think if you you could think that this is nourishing, and uh, um, you know, if you think of these colors as you know, because like the rainbow, isn't it? <laughs> you know, having all these qualities, that that could be. Uh, uh, um, that could be nourishing, but then also I wonder what happens when there aren't those colours there. That's the other aspect to it too, isn't it? So, uh, and it, what you, what you're seeing there really is that interpretive quality, isn't it? Of that perception uh, gives rise to we're interpreting reality. Um, but as I say, you know, uh, the way we interpret reality. The, the views that we have, the perceptions we have, the thoughts that we have, they can either be positive, wholesome, or negative, unwholesome. So if we are developing perceptions which give rise to something that's positive for us, reinforces those good qualities, reminds us of those good qualities using the colours, then that's, that is something that's useful. That's something that's useful. So that's, I think that's fine. That's fine to think like that. And I know... You know, these rainbow, the rainbow's given many interpretations. <laughs> I think children are painting it. It's in the, um, the gay liberation, all these sorts of things, you know, the different colours. It's in the Buddhist flag. You know, we, we give the, the various colours on the Buddhist flag uh, different interpretations. The, they say the colours that the Buddha emanated after he became enlightened. And so they put them on the Buddhist flag. If you've seen that flag... So, so that's fine having those um, ideas of colours, um, and certainly, it's a basis for the kasina, the kasina meditations, these disc meditations, so that uh, some colours can be, you know, associated, have a very attractive quality, and I know, uh, for instance, for me, you know, I have done some casino uh, meditation, this, this colour disc meditation. It's not easy. <laughs> People who think it's easy, <laughs> they're in for a surprise. But, uh, you know, and all, it's quite extraordinary. The mind really likes a deep blue colour. And I always keep that colour around the um, around a shrine. This is where I put a Buddha statue or pictures and so on. Because the mind just really likes it. And that may be from a past life. Who knows? but it has a wholesome effect for me and um, it's uplifting for the mind for some reason. So, interesting. So, yes, please use whatever means one can to develop positive states of mind, wholesome states of mind. And by doing that, we reduce the negative, the unwholesome states of mind. As I often say, not much space (laughs) for the negative to take root. And also, it's in our interest for our lives to have uh, a wholesome or a positive outlook, view, experience of ourselves, others and and life. Of course, this is not to say that we ignore the difficulties. The whole of the Buddha's path is about suffering. (laughs) As the Buddha says, I teach uh, suffering and its end to reach. And that's, that's a pretty good thing to teach. He's teaching basically how to become happy. 
So thank you for that about the colours. <laughs> all right. So all the best. And now and we pay those who would like to. We can pay respects to the uh, Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And in one month's time, or about then, we, if I remember, we can do right view. We can discuss how to develop right view using the Noble Eightfold Path because this is important, important part of the practice that will make us Sotapanas, the first stage of enlightenment, stream enterers. Not bad. <laughs> so please join if you'd like. Oh, here we are. Not much room.